Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out of your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even, as, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, team. Would you thank them for their ministry to you and to us this morning? So grateful for their service uh, each week, how God uses them. Somebody commented on Facebook just saw ago, just a moment ago, what a blessing your musicians are. And we agree. It's such a such a gift. Thank you, Dave, for your leadership and Caleb of, uh, of our uh, worship. We're so grateful for that. Uh, Philippians uh, 2, 12 uh, through 30 is the broader text, but we'll deal specifically with 12 through 18 today. And it begins with the word, uh, therefore. And when I look and see this word, therefore, it reminds me of a funeral I attended years ago. Uh, and, and why uh, this uh, old uh, uh, fashion preacher did this at a funeral, I don't know, but it stuck with me. And he said, uh, when you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. And I've never forgotten that. It's just stuck in, in, in my head. So as immediately when I'm preparing, I see the word therefore, and I ask myself, what is this word there for? And uh, when I do, I discover that the word therefore refers back to what Alan Michael preached last week. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, that hymn, uh, that off-quoted hymn, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that great hymn that, that says have the same mind or mindset or the same attitude that Jesus had, that occurs before this text. You jump into some instruction in this text, and then after this text, you have two examples of it. Two leaders in the church, Timothy and Epaphroditus, both who exemplify 1 through 11. But the question is, how do they, and how do we? Verses 12 and 13 give us this answer. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verses 12 and 13 create a conundrum for us. They put us in a quandary. Why? Because we are instructed to work out our own salvation. 
And yet, and Paul, in all of his other writings, makes it clear to us that God has already worked out the salvation situation, that we receive from him, we receive from Jesus Christ all that we need to be all that we are and to be redeemed, to be saved, to be born again, to live an entirely new life. So if that is the case, and then Paul writes, work out your own salvation, what does he mean? We have to figure out the answer to that. So let's look into that for just a moment. I discovered a couple of things this week, though I've read this book for many, many years. The word your is plural, not singular. All right, so we have a tendency, especially in America, to individualize everything. But Paul is writing to the entire Philippian church, work out your salvation to the entire Philippian church. So if he is doing that, he's writing to all of them, then we know it doesn't have to do with your personal salvation because it's plural. It's not personal then. It's the whole church. So if your is plural, and it is, then what is salvation? That forces us to answer that question. Work out your plural salvation, we go to context. I had a Greek Hebrew professor, same guy, taught both, brilliant guy, and he said there are three rules of studying Scripture, context, context, and context. So we go to context, and in the context, the Philippian church has an issue, and the issue among the Philippian church is that they are struggling to get along. They are struggling to be good to one another. Chapter 4, we've noted multiple times, two of them are called out for it. Two of them are just being downright awful to one another, so much so that Paul, sitting in a Roman jail, writes their names in the letter and says, Euodian, Syntyche, get along. Get along with each other. So their salvation then is this issue that is plaguing the church this issue that they need to work out. The word work out means to produce a desired result. So work out, produce this desired result, all of you together, for it is God who is at work in you. All right, so let's look at that word. I'll give it to you in the Greek because you'll know it in the English as soon as I do. Let me spell it out, for it is God who is at work. At work, that word in the Greek is E-N-E-R-G-E-O, energy. It is God who's going to give you the energy to work it out. That means to put one's capabilities into operation. All right, so I will preach three times this morning, and for that I will need energy. So what will give me energy? It will be the food I eat, the calories that are in the food, which will go into my body, be burned through the morning as I preach. The calories will give me the energy. Hopefully I eat good food that is energizing. So those calories go in me to give me energy, but they can go in me all day long, and if I don't get up and preach, there's no sermon. 
God is going to give the Philippian church the energy, the power, all they need for all they face, but they're still going to have to face it. They're still going to have to work. They're still going to have to do something. So we learn that God is at work in us. He's given us energy, all of us together, energy, the, the power to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does this mean? God can affect both your attitude and your actions, your desires and your duties, your wanting and your working. His good pleasure means his kind intention. God is up to good stuff. All right, the news is crazy, but God is up to good stuff. Amen? Uh, you don't believe that. You do not believe that. The news is crazy. Amen? But God is up to good stuff. Amen? Yes, just last night, just last night when we realized a plane had crashed on the interstate in McDowell County, I text Will Keller. I said, Will, what in the world? Like a plane crashed, and he went through two or three other things that had happened yesterday in this county. And then he said back to me, before 2020's out, lava will be spewing out of Mount Mitchell. <laughs> he may not be wrong. This is a crazy world, isn't it? Like, it's 2020. How many people vote for Christmas? Yes. Yes, come on, like we're ready, aren't we? It's just a crazy, crazy time. But we discover that God has a kind intention. God is at work. He is not deterred by all of what's happening around the Philippian church, nor is he us. Verses 12 and 13 are leaked together as effect and cause. Our work is the effect. God's work is the cause. So God causes and we work. This is not a New Testament concept. Psalm 90, 17, great prayer. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, we need your favor and we need to work. That's what that means. God, there's a work to do, but unless you work in us, we won't work it out. So how do you do it? Well, two ways. Number one, you work out your salvation by what you don't do. Look at this. Some of you will not like it. That is a disclaimer, right? That's like when I was growing up when we had to take Pepto-Bismol. That stuff is nasty. It's just nasty. I'd rather be sick. But mom would say, you're going to take it. This is medicine that tastes bad but needs to go down deep. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Somebody laughed. <laughs> Thank you for your honest laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. What is grumbling and what is disputing? Grumbling is whispering complaints talking in secret against someone, making negative comments behind someone's back. That's grumbling. What is disputing? Quarreling in ways that are divisive and raise doubts. This is how the Israelites grumbled against Moses. 
And scholars believe that the Philippians were angry at God for their suffering, and they were also angry at Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, perhaps their overseers and their deacons, who knows, because Paul mentions them in the letter too. They were angry. And in their anger, they were grumbling against God and against the leaders of the church. Paul says, he writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things, not just church, all of life without grumbling or disputing. What is the result of this? What if we were to do this? What if Grace Community Church decided today, individually and corporately, we will not, we will not grumble, we will not dispute, we will do all things that way. Paul says you will be without blame, without flaws, and without blemish. There are three withouts. You will be without blame, without flaws, and without blemish. Isn't that amazing? Paul doesn't give a list, a long list of, hey, don't do this and wear this and read this and speak this. and No, he doesn't do that. He says, get along. If you'll get along, something will happen. You will be without blame, without flaws, and without blemish. Notice the contrast. And you will stand out from a crooked and twisted world by what we do not do, by what we do not do. That's fascinating to me. That word crooked, I'll say in the Greek, scolios, scoliosis, a crooked back. The world is inherently crooked, and it ain't getting straight. It will never do it. We are not in the business of making the world better. We cannot do that. Sinners will be sinners. It should not surprise us when sinners sin because that's what sinners do. Sinners will be sinners. Dogs bark because they're what? They're dogs. That's what they do. Yesterday, our neighbors have a dog. They have two of them. They're sitting here. Not the dogs, the neighbors. They have two of them. One of them, decent attitude. The other one thinks he owns the block. So yesterday morning, I'm having this quiet morning, and I'm standing up there, and I'm praying. And I'm just standing. I'm st I usually sit, but I'm standing, and I can't see anything. And it's totally quiet. It's early. It's totally quiet. And I'm just praying, and it is awesome. And the Lord is moving, and unbeknownst to me, the Hamrick's dog had made it all the way up to the other side of my truck. And all of a sudden, this screeching bark came, and I was raptured. <laughs> I jumped out of my skin. I came close to saying a bad word in the middle of prayer. It was unreal, the bark of that dog in close proximity while I'm standing there praying. I think it brought Sue out of her house. She comes out. It's a whole neighborhood event at that point. 
I have no idea now how, what that has to do with anything, but it did when I started. Wow. So let me just jump back in my notes and we'll, we'll keep going. The next thing in my notes says, think about our world for a moment. And I encourage you to do that. Name calling, infighting, political bullying, division, confusion, anger. I was on a phone call this week with pastors from around the country, and they are the most discouraged lot. A recent Pew study says that 25% of us will quit by year's end. I stood in line yesterday at Irma's to get something to eat, pick up some things, and Victor, fine young man, and his wife volunteer for youth ministry in their church. He saw me. He needed to talk. Discouraged. He's discouraged. We live in a crazy world, but Paul says in that crazy world, you can shine as lights if you don't complain. Isn't that interesting? That was true then and it's true now. If you will choose to quit griping on Facebook, people might listen when you have something good to say. They might just tune in when good words come out. Now, that word lights is luminaries in Greek. Kristen, who wrote a remarkable life group lesson this week, talked of recently being in Montana in a place where there's no light pollution and the stars that were just everywhere. That's who we'll be. If we get this right now, the possibilities for the gospel are endless. You see, in Paul's day, sailors did not have GPS. Apple was a fruit, not a computer or a phone or a watch. I could go on and on. And so how did they get from point A to point B? Stars, luminaries. This is not an arrogant statement. But if the church is to be the GPS in a crooked and perverted world, we've got to do a whole lot less complaining and a whole lot more proclaiming. And that's the second point. Work out your salvation by what you do. What do you do? He says, holding fast to the word of life. That word hold fast, that phrase could mean either hold fast or hold forth. If the gospel has a light switch, complaining turns it off and proclaiming turns it on. 
Proclaiming turns it off, or complaining turns it off, and proclaiming turns it on. I would just say to you, there are many things for which I do not have an answer with everything that's going on in our world today. I just do not understand so many things. So when I don't, when I know what I don't know, then I need to land in what I know. I need to live in what I know, what I do know. When I realize there are so many things I do not know, then I must live in what I do know. One man who did that, his name was John Newton. John Newton was born in 1725 to a sailor. John Newton's mother died when he was just two weeks shy of seven years old. At the age of 11, John Newton's father took him out to sea and made a sailor out of him too. The trade, slaves, and Newton became a slave trader. He would load boats with slaves and take them from Africa over to England and France. I've been on the westernmost tip of Africa. I've been in a slave house. I've stood quietly in rooms that looked like jail cells that were about 20 by 20 feet in which they would cram a hundred of them with no bathroom facilities. I've listened as the person speaking to us talked of how the sharks came to circle that area because so many of them would be thrown out to sea when they died. That's what Newton did. He became so vile that his dad pawned him off on someone else, and he was so utterly vile that they abandoned him, and he became as a slave himself. His dad finally came to his rescue, but when he did, his ship almost went down. And it was in that moment of near death that Newton cried out to God. And God saved him, that old slave trader. Newton is known for a song that every person in this room, I imagine, has sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Only by the providence of God would that become one of the favorite African-American hymns of all time. Only by the grace of God. Newton would later write, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I once was an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. He would work behind the scenes with the young William Wilberforce. And in his work, before his death, see the abolition of slavery in England.
How did Newton live with himself? How, how does somebody like that live with himself? I'll give you two quotes, two quotes which much inform, must inform our attitude and must affect how we think of ourselves. You see, we live in a culture that says nobody's a sinner, everybody's good, everybody's got a little spark of good in them. Just fan the flame, just get the spark to, to fan. I mean, whoever invented that never raised a kid. They never had at least two of them together fighting over one thing. We are sinners. We are born into sin. We sin without trying. We sin when we wake up in the morning unless the grace of God constrains us. Here are his quotes. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner in Christ is a great Savior. Amen? Thank you. His second quote, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Is anybody else there? Oh, but I thank God I'm not what I once was. Can we say amen to that? I thank God that I'm not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Keller in a sermon recently said we must pray ourselves hot with the gospel if we forget who we once were. If we forget that apart from the grace of God there is no good in us then we will in no way be able to extend that grace to the worst sinners in our lives, to the people we encounter who need that grace. We will not be able to extend it. You cannot hold forth what you do not hold fast. We must hold fast to who we once were and by the grace of God who we now are. Notice how invested Paul is in their getting this right. He says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Two metaphors, a runner in a race and someone who toils. So, for those of you at home, I, I'm so sorry that you don't get to participate in this with us, although you could at home. Maybe find a Yankee candle or something. Or woodwick. Those make cool sounds. But for the rest of you here with us, I want you to find the candle you received as you came in today. And if you did not receive one, now, I think they're under all the chairs. Find that candle. Now, I see most of you writing notes, which means you have a pen. Here's what I want you to do. You'll take this with you as you leave today. I want you to take this 
little piece of paper. And Wayne, we can wait a minute on the lighting. Yeah, let's hold just a second on that. I want you to take this piece of paper and I want you to write on it. Philip, we can wait just a bit on the lighting. Thank you. Write on it the thing that right now is crawling up in you and frustrating you. When you're tempted to complain, this is when you do. All right? So just write it right now. Just take a moment. Quiet reflection. And on this little disc, nobody else has to see it. This is a bit of confession, a bit of owning. My sermon is incomplete unless you either do it here or do it here. My favorite service at Grace is Christmas. And every one of those we end by singing what, in my opinion, is the greatest Christmas hymn ever, O Holy Night. FYI, if we're still social distancing in December, if we have to have 10 of those services, we will. And we will celebrate. You will either complain or you will proclaim. You cannot do both. That cannot come out of the same mouth. We're going to sing when we get to Christ as the Lord. If you are ready to take whatever's on here and give it to him, this candle just needs to go up. Until then, just keep it down here. Let's worship him.